Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Paul was a man who was formed and informed by Scripture. He understood what was right and wrong because of what God had said in his word. And listen, that is the only way you're ever going to determine what is right or wrong. Because everything else is up for grabs. Everything else is an opinion. That's the world we live in today. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, in a message titled, Everyday Discipleship and Church Discipline. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, everyday discipleship, that's our big theme, and we're using Paul's letter to the Corinthians to address these different issues that surround discipleship. So today we are looking at the very challenging topic of church discipline. You know, this is kind of one of the things that happens when you teach through books of the Bible. You come to things that you wouldn't necessarily just get up and randomly speak about. You know, if somebody asked me, hey, would you come and speak at our church? I would not say, sure, I'll come and speak on church discipline. That is not a topic that would be, you know, at the, at the top of the list for me. And the good thing about going through books of the Bible is it forces you to address things that you just probably wouldn't necessarily address. But it's an important topic, but it is challenging. But I do think that God has a word for us as we look at this topic today. So let me just remind you, as we come to this fifth chapter, we're coming now to a new topic. So remember that Paul has been, for the first three and a half chapters, really, he's been dealing with the same issue, and it's the issue of the carnality of the Corinthians that was manifesting itself in this desire to be accepted by the world, to be seen as wise and clever and all of that sort of thing that was going on. So Paul had said to them, he had referred to them as carnal, Carnal meaning that although they were born of the Spirit of God, they were not acting like that. They were behaving just like everyone else. And so, as I said, they wanted, what it came down to is they really wanted the blessing of Christ, but they didn't want to be associated with the humiliation and weakness of his death on the cross. They wanted to reign with Christ in the end, but they also wanted a place of honor among the social elites of the day. They wanted to be part of the in crowd. And so Paul summed up his message to them on that point. I I think these words sum it up well. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may 
be truly wise. So that, that's kind of where he ended with addressing that particular issue. So now that he's addressed that, he's moving on to the next thing. Now, the, the Corinthian church was a mess. And this letter is predominantly corrective. Now, when you look at the epistles and specifically Paul's epistles, you find that they are, some of them are very heavy in the realm of doctrine, teaching us about God, who he is, Christ, who he is, what he's done, the cross, those kinds of things, Romans, Ephesians, etc. Those are the, the heavily doctrinal letters. And then you have some of his letters that are more of a sort of a split down the middle between doctrine and practical things. And then you have some that swing a little bit more heavy toward the practical side. And 1 Corinthians is that. It's really a letter that Paul writes to correct all of the misunderstanding and the the bad behavior that was going on in the church. It's kind of a funny thing because we often talk about wanting to get back to being like the early church. You know, we, we sort of idealize the early church as this place where it was just perfect and God was moving powerfully and man, if we could just get back to being like they were. Well, that's partially true. The other side of the coin is that the early church was messed up and Corinth was kind of the poster child church for a church that was messed up. But it was still the church. They were still the people of God. And so Paul is writing to correct where they had got things wrong. And so what he's going to deal with here now, and we saw it in the verses that we read, is really blatant, unrepentant, undisciplined, even celebrated sin. That's what was happening that he is now addressing here. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the situation as we see it in the text that we read and what Paul calls the Corinthians to do about the sin that was in the camp. And then we'll look more specifically at the issue of church discipline. Like, well, what is church discipline? And when do we do it? And how do we do it? And what is the objective? So that will be where we will end up. But let's start by just walking through these 12 verses. The first thing that we see here is that the issue was really over-the-top sexual immorality. Sexual immorality that was even offensive to the unbelievers. Look what he says. He says, it is actually reported. It's almost like you could hear Paul's tone like, I cannot believe this. I mean, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. That's not so surprising, but of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud of it. You're proud that you have tolerated this kind of sin in your midst. So, over the top, sexual immorality. Again, sexual immorality was not 
all that. It could have been common, but it was a specific type of sexual immorality that Paul says even the pagans were shocked by this. Now, in the Roman world, the Roman world was, uh, especially sexually, it was, it was very, very, what we would say from a biblical standpoint, it was very immoral. You know, kind of the, the sexual ethics of, of the day are similar, but probably not as extreme as they were in the Roman world. But even though that was the case, they still had their limits. And so the behavior of the Corinthians was kind of blowing the mind of the pagans around them. They saw what was going on and they thought, whoa, that's, I mean, wait, you know, these people are supposed to be Christians and I I don't think they should be doing that. We wouldn't even do that. We, We wouldn't even behave that way. That's what they're saying. Now, you know, we've kind of come to a place in our culture where this kind of stuff is going on. So this whole thing was over the top. And there was this pride. It was a pride in their tolerance that they were exhibiting. And they completely failed to act or to respond to this in a God-honoring way. And so he says, he says, a man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship, the man who has been doing this. So they failed completely to act in a God-honoring way. Now, the next thing we see is Paul's assessment and verdict on the situation. So Paul is not there. Paul hears about this. And immediately, Paul assesses the situation as, this is wrong, plain and simple. This is wrong, and this is how it should have already been dealt with, and this is how it needs to be dealt with. Now, some people would say, well, you know, how did Paul know that this was wrong? Or why? So the church leaders are kind of like, well, we're not sure if it's wrong. Paul, there's no question in his mind whatsoever. Immediately. He knows this is wrong. How was that the case? Here's how he knew. Paul was a man who was formed and informed by Scripture. He was shaped by Scripture. His life was immersed in Scripture. He saw the world through the lens of Scripture. And so it formed him, it shaped him, it's who he was, and it informed him. He understood what was right and wrong because of what God had said in his word. And listen, that is the only way you're ever going to determine what is right or wrong because everything else is up for grabs. Everything else is an opinion. That's the world we live in today. Well, I don't think it's wrong. And who are you to tell me that it's wrong? And who is anybody to tell me that it's wrong? And there's no source of authority that anybody today is really going to respect, but God's word is fixed. It's set. It's, it's been the same century after century, millennium after millennium. It's been the same. And so Paul was informed by scripture. So Paul would have known immediately when he hears about this, he would have known 
that the scriptures specifically forbid this kind of behavior. Leviticus chapter 18. We know it as chapter 18. They didn't have chapters back then, but Paul knew the biblical text. This is what it says. God is speaking. Keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. No one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am the Lord. Here it is. Do not have sexual relations with your father's wife. That would dishonor your father. Do not defile yourselves in in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants, but you must keep my decrees and laws. Paul knew this instantly. He was able to take the truth of God's word. He was able through the scripture to assess and to pass judgment on the situation. And that is the way that we know as well what is right and wrong. You know, people often, like when we talk about, and especially today, I mean, obviously, uh, sexuality is, is a massive idol in our culture, and so many things revolve around the issues of sexuality. And, and people always want to push back with, well, who are you to, to tell me that this is the way that a person is supposed to live and so forth? And I understand that. And I actually agree with that to a certain extent. If it's simply me telling you about how you should live sexually, who, who am I to tell you? What, what authority do I have? It basically comes down to, well, this is my opinion. I think this. I don't think you should do that. But there's another component here to the issue. And the component is whether or not, number one, there is a God, and number two, whether or not he said anything about these things. Now, I believe that there is a God, and I believe that he has spoken about these things. And so my conviction and my perspective on this is not rooted in what I think about these things. It's rooted in what God has said about it. And that's how... My friends, that is how we have always been called to live life. That is how we are going to navigate the current moment and the days ahead. We have to have that kind of stability just as Paul was able without any hesitation, he was able to just point clearly to the fact that this is wrong. It's wrong because God said it's wrong. And God is the one who created everything and he created it for a reason, with a purpose and to function in certain ways and to not function in other ways. So Paul assesses, but then he passes the verdict. What does he say? So we look back down at the text. He says, for my part, even though Well, first he said that you, uh, putting the man out of the fellowship who has been doing this, he says, for my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So 
Here's what you do when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. So that's, that's Paul's verdict. This is what they are to do. They are to put this man who's doing this, they're to put this man out of the fellowship. And Paul says they are to hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. What in the world does that mean? Well, note this. Paul believes that Satan is real. There is a devil. And he also believes that Satan is at work to try to undermine what God is wanting to do in the church. So he sees that Satan is at work here, but he says to hand this man over to Satan. This man is to be put out of the community and thus outside the protection of Christ. You see, Paul understood that those who walked in obedience to Christ as his people and were there as part of the family of God, the community, Paul understood that there was an element of protection there. But he also understands that if you put yourself outside of that through disobedience to God, you put yourself in a position for Satan to really have a go at you. I love this this quote from N.T. Wright. He said, Paul sees the world outside the church as the sphere over which Satan has unfettered power. So that to put someone out of the community is to expel them from the sphere in which Christ saves, delivers, or protects them. So what Paul is saying is put this person outside so that Satan, in a sense, can have a go at him. Satan has a heyday, so to speak, that will hopefully bring this person to their senses and to repentance so that their spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord. So this is a disciplinary act. Now, I want you to see this as well. Paul, notice what he says. He says, okay, you're going to do this. I'm not physically with you, but my spirit is going to be with you. And then he says, and the power of the Lord Jesus Paul sees church discipline as something that the Lord himself is doing through his people. So this isn't just a human thing. This is not just, well, we decided this, and so we're going to do that. This is something that God himself has called us to do, and he's with us as we obey him in these difficult processes. So in a sense, it's like, So here's a person, and they're unrepentant. They they don't want to listen. And so it's like, okay, they want to play with the devil? Then so be it. You go out here, and you, you play around in the devil's world, and let's see when the reality of what it is sinks in. Let's see what you think then. And the objective, though, of course, is that they would come running back to the church and say, oh, God, forgive me. I don't want to be part of that world. So it's, it's a disciplinary thing, but it's a disciplinary thing for, for protection, for protection of the body, for protection of the person. And so then Paul goes on and he says this. He says, your boasting is not good. 
And then he says, don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, this is really interesting that Paul goes in this direction because Paul now introduces these two very Jewish things into his instruction here to a group of people that are not Jewish for the most part. There are some Jews in the congregation in Corinth, but the majority of the Corinthian Christians were Gentiles. So the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, unless they had been instructed about this, they wouldn't really know the significance of that. But this is a teaching moment. Paul is teaching them just as he would have drawn from Leviticus, like we saw a minute ago when he addresses the sin that was there among them. So now, once again, he's drawing from the scriptures. He's drawing from the law. And this is the point that he's making by, by referencing the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. The point that he's making is that God requires purity among his people. You see, the Passover lamb that was brought to the priest for the sacrifice had to be spotless. It had to be pure. It could not have any blemish. It could not have any defect whatsoever. Why? Because that lamb was a representative of the Lamb of God who would come ultimately to take away the sin of the world, Jesus, who himself was sinless. So the Lamb had to be without blemish. So Christ is sinless. Now, unleavened bread, these two things went hand in hand. So the Passover began with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What happened then? All of the, the homes within the community they were responsible to go into their homes and to purge all of the leaven out of the home. There could be no leaven in the home, and then they had to bake this bread, and the bread was without leaven. Why? Because leaven is a type of sin. You see, sin, like yeast, will permeate and corrupt the whole loaf, and therefore it must be eradicated. And so Paul draws on these two Jewish festivals, really, that emphasized purity through the, the spotlessness of the lamb and the, the lack of uh, leaven among the people to remind the Christians now, these Gentile Christians, that God has called them to live godly, righteous, and pure lives. And so he's, he's pointing to these things. He says, Christ, our Passover, he's been sacrificed for us. Listen, he's, he's really saying, listen, you're, you're part of something now that you were not part of before, formerly in your Gentile, your pagan life. In your pagan life, there was no emphasis on any kind of sexual purity. You have now entered into a new thing where purity is something that God calls his people to.
For the month of February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. The world is constantly challenging the rationality of the Christian faith and the validity of the existence of God. As Christians, we're faced not only with skepticism and doubt, but also with genuine inquiry. The book Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little provides clear and understandable answers to why the Christian faith is rational and how the existence of God is valid. He also addresses other questions that both Christians and non-Christians alike puzzle over. Questions such as, is Jesus really God? Is the Bible historically reliable? Are miracles really real? If God does exist, then why is there so much suffering and evil in the world? If you want your questions like these answered, or to be able to answer questions of others, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.